everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show. And folks, I want to talk to you today about uh, addiction in Virginia and what are we going to do about it. You know, when we look at the border right now, there's a big discussion about whether the borders should be open, whether the borders should be closed. You know, I am here to tell you right now that as someone that is running for the Virginia State Senate here in November of 2023, we can't wait. I, I'm going to tell you right now that in you know in the state of Virginia, we are affected. We are being devastated by the effects of the open borders, which is true of all the states in the union. But I'm here in Virginia, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm going to tell you why the borders being open are a very, very serious issue for us. And I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that I want to propose in the Virginia State Senate and things that I want to look at and things that I want to emphasize. Because... You know, we are affected in so many different ways. And as I sit back and I look at what's going on around the nation, but here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, it really bothers me. And I don't think that people are really getting the full gravity of why the open borders are a problem for us as a nation and for us here in Virginia in this state. Number one, you have all kinds of people that are being dumped in the country that have not been vetted and not screened. It have not been screened. We have no idea who these people are. There's no doubt that many are criminals. These are people that have been released from prisons from other countries around the world. Uh, many of these people have diseases that that we have long ago eradicated here in the United States and starting to show up again. And I give you an example. Up in New York City, recently the water was tested and polio popped up. Now, we haven't seen polio in the United States for a very, very long time, but it's coming back up into this this country. So there's a reason why you have borders, there's a reason why you have screening, and there's a reason why you have testing. Now, I am all for legal immigration. Legal immigration is fine. This, this nation has been founded upon immigration. Now, the problem that we have in the United States is when we have... Uh, things that don't work or things that we perceive don't work or there are issues with an institution, our way of doing business in the past has been just to get rid of that institution. For example, we used to have uh, mental health institutions in the, in the United States. Well, we don't really have those to the degree that we used to have. You know, I was a police officer in Washington, D.C., and they used to have St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Now, there were allegations of abuse, and so the answer to that was to shut St. Elizabeth's down. Now, if you go down to Washington, D.C., you have people with serious mental health issues walking all over the place, uh, harassing people, and uh, really putting themselves and others in danger. And I know when I was a police officer, many, many, many of the... Um, calls that I would get would be for people that were had mental health issues, were walking around and were committing crimes. And, you know, really, I think the least humane thing that we could do is put these people out on the street and not provide them the services that they need and the help that they need. And walking around the, the city streets is certainly not humane. And uh, during the winter months in particular, that is very, very difficult, very, very dangerous for the people that were there. And it's really an inhumane way of dealing with the public and, and with the people that have serious issues that need to be dealt with. And so our answer was to get rid of the, those institutions. Um, likewise, with the police departments, you know, there was there's perceived problems with police departments around the, the country. And I've done other podcasts where I've talked about the failure of leadership in the in these 
organizations and the need to hold police departments accountable and hold leadership accountable. And I can assure you in the Virginia State Senate, that is what I will be doing here in the Commonwealth, is making sure that our leaders do just that, and that is lead their organizations and uh, hold their officers and deputies to the highest possible standards. That's something that I will insist upon. But what we did was we called for the defunding of police, the demonizing police, and then what did we get? We had spikes in homicide. We had, frankly, spikes in every single measurable crime statistic that you can think of. They went through the roof. Well, that you know, in Washington D.C., use that as an example. Their homicide rate went up four hundred percent in the last year. Well, that didn't help people. And you know who's affected most? Minorities, African Americans, immigrants both legal and illegal, those are the people that are affected the most. The suburbs, the wealthier folks in the suburbs are not affected near as much as people in the inner cities. And that's a real problem. So again, our way of dealing with these issues is to defund, demonize, and do away with these institutions. And I can assure you, that once in office. That is not something that I will promote. Instead, I will promote building up funding, training, and holding leadership accountable in each one of these institutions. Now, I do want to talk to you about addiction because one of the uh, issues that you have on the border with an open border is drugs, not just fentanyl, although that's the, the flavor of the week You know, these days is fentanyl, and we have enough fentanyl coming across the borders every month to kill every single American, and that needs to be stopped. And, and I don't know why we don't emphasize that. It's like a chemical attack on the United States. We have a chemical attack being unleashed upon on the American people. And we have uh, really, you know, every year we have as many people die from fentanyl as we had die in the Vietnam conflict, but yet we don't talk about it the same way. And I think it's because the press does not emphasize this and they don't talk about how devastating this is to the American people. And by the way, that's only fentanyl. That's not talking about cocaine, powder cocaine, uh, crack cocaine, heroin, and all of the other drugs that, that come out. And by the way, alcohol alone is just very destructive. And I'm not even looking at the, or including the aggregate of lost families, uh, destroyed uh, relationships, lost professions, lost uh, nas- you know gross national product, on and on and on, and people that are killed from people who are under the influence of drugs and alcohol out on the streets. I'm not even including that aggregate. But if you did, then it would be just overwhelmingly Uh, horrific, but we don't talk about it. But I'm going to do that in the Virginia State Senate, and that is something that we must do something about. Now, as I talked about institutions and how we've defunded, uh, demonized, and done away with institutions, then we also have those institutions that are just never talked about, and that is the addiction counseling world. Now, some of you know that I just completed a graduate program from the Hazel and Betty Ford graduate, uh, graduate School for Addiction Studies up in Minnesota. I just finished that, and I'm going to begin working as a behavioral therapist in a uh, in in a detox unit here next month. And and so this is my uh, full-time occupation now after years in the military and law enforcement. And I'm really looking forward to it because it's a continuation of service to the American people and certainly for the people here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I'm really looking forward to that. And 
what I have learned in this experience, this journey that I have gone through uh, getting this degree and getting licensed to uh, work in this area is just how little attention is paid to addiction counseling in the addiction world from the American people. You know, as I go around the country, and I do, I go around the country and I talk about addiction and I try to help people, uh, I usually start out my talk with how many people in the room here have know someone that has an addiction? Who, who in the room knows someone in their life? And everybody, invariably everyone, everyone raises their hand and they say, I know someone, whether it's the, someone that they work with or related to, whether it's them themselves, uh, an employer, an employee, you, you name it. Someone knows someone. We really can't say that about any other issue when you think about it where every single person knows someone that is negatively impacted by an issue. And when I start asking, you know, questions about, you know, is this a disease? Is it a moral issue? What do you think that this is? Most people will at least say that they believe that addiction is a progressive and deadly disease. I don't know that all people believe that. I think they've been kind of conditioned to say it. But the fact is, it's a, a progressive a disease that people have. There's a genetic uh, uploading that that is there that causes people, once they start to drink or drug, to continue to drink a drug until they they die because ultimately addiction leads to death but it destroys many relationships and people in in hopes and dreams before people die now what amazes me is when you i look around the room and this is at each engagement speaking engagement that i go to where i talk about addiction um, it amazes me how little the people know about addiction and more importantly how to deal with addiction um, even though they're affected by it. And I think in large part, that's because people who are in recovery, uh, of which I am one, by the way, are have been trained and conditioned to not talk about it. And that's amazing to me. So we have this issue that arguably is the top health issue in the United States, but yet we've been conditioned to not talk about it because it's like it, it's this big secret thing that we're not supposed to talk about but we should be talking about it. And for my discussion today, I want to just talk about my observation about the system, the system in place right now in dealing with addiction and what we need to do and where there's been a lack of attention and where in the Virginia State Senate, I want to really put a focus on the industry of recovery if you will, the industry of recovery. And what I mean by that is this, that we have not, just like we haven't with mental health institutions, we have not placed an emphasis on treatment and on recovery. As a state, as a government, we have not done that. We need to bring the focus on addiction and help people get well. And in order to get well, people need to know where to go. So that's something that the state can do a lot to work with, to help people understand where to go to get help. And then once they know where to get help, then we as a government need to help those facilities be the best possible resources that they can to help those 
that are struggling and their families because addiction is a family disease. Every single person in the family is affected negatively by the one person's use of drugs or alcohol or even the process addictions, which is uh, food, pornography, gaming, sex, uh, all those other issues where it's not a chemical that's put into the body. They can be just as destructive as well. But we need to highlight this. We need to talk about the problem. We need to talk about the problem as it is, and fund organizations to help the public. Because, frankly, because of the fact that we've been ignoring all of the drugs coming across the border and doing nothing really to stop drugs coming across the border, I think it's a an obligation and a moral imperative that the government help create, fund, and educate about addiction and help those And I think that Virginia, and I've said this before, I believe that Virginia can be a beacon and a light and a leader to the rest of the nation in leading the way and helping the the citizens of this country get better and get through their addiction. I mean, after all, the government has really done nothing in the last couple of years to do anything to stop drugs from coming into the country. So I think the least we could do is is help people. And I want to lead the way and lead the charge in that fight. Now, along with that, um, I think that we need to emphasize the need to create programs, um, certainly help the Veterans Administration do everything that we can to clean up the red tape, clean up. Uh, the, the VA has gotten a lot better over the years. There's absolutely no question about that, but certainly do what we can to get it better. But then also with the state programs as well and help provide uh, treatment for those that, that can't otherwise afford it. And that's, that's a big thing too, because treatment is very, very expensive. If you have good insurance, that's a you know something that you can get it's still expensive and then uh, we also need to do more to help uh, the people that don't have the financial otherwise don't have the financial means to uh, to get the treatment they need because I do think that being educated and helped with uh, an addiction issue is something that the government can and should do something about because as you know my belief system is that the number one priority of the government whether it's the federal government or the state or local uh, jurisdictions is to help the people uh first and not just to help people but to protect people the protection of the people which includes addiction and preventing uh, illicit drugs from coming across the borders is the number one priority of the government, you know, protecting us from all of our enemies. And I do believe that we are under attack with drugs coming across the border right now. And so that's a protection. So helping the people is something that we can do. Certainly help those that do not have the means to otherwise pay for a treatment themselves. On top of that, we can encourage people to go into the counseling field, the addiction counseling field. I just went through this program for the last two and a half years, and it's a very, very difficult uh, prog- program. It, it was, you know, 60 hours, uh, plus there's internship practicum that goes along with it. It's an expensive program to pay for. You know, I've, I've been blessed to have uh, been in positions in my life where I could financially afford to do that, and I did, but not everyone does. And I I think that we as a state can identify and encourage and maybe financially support people who want to go into this field to do so because it's an honorable thing to do. It's a public service. It's it's right up there with being a doctor, being a nurse, 
you know, being a counselor and helping the public is something that people should aspire to do because it, it's such a great help and benefit to the American people, and we should encourage that. Um, along with that, you know, giving the resources to help people as they're studying to go through, give them the, the, the training grounds to, to do this, and just encourage people to go into the field and then where we can financially help people once they get there. Because, you know, arguably, you know, if you do sort of a cost benefit analysis of the amount of money that you pay to go into a graduate program to become a, a counselor, and then you juxtapose that over with the amount of money that you're going to get paid when you're working with a, a counselor, I think a lot of people just tap out and say, that's not something I want to do because it may not be worth it in the long run financially. And I completely understand that. That makes complete sense to me because it's not a high paying job. But you know, if you are someone that is thinking about doing this, I would encourage you to do it because the benefit to you knowing the good that you are doing outweighs the money. But Having said that, I think that on my end, you know, somebody that uh, is is looking to become an elected official and a representative of the people, I can push as hard as I can to see where we can assist people financially and encourage institutions to pay more for uh, addiction treatment and, and pay the counselors that are doing it. And it's the same sort of concept that we have with teachers. Teachers are horribly underpaid, and that's something that else I want to look at. But today's focus is on addiction counselors, and we need to do more to, to make it just appealing to people financially in their life and then help them along where we can. So also we need to look at these, relook at programs, the, the 28-day model of, of treatment um, it really statistically does not have a real high success rate. It's a pretty low rate, actually. And we need to do more to help people. There, there's study after study after study that says that the longer that people are in treatment, the higher the probability it, it is that they are going to be in long-term sobriety, which means that sober living houses, extended stays, uh, programs where, where, where people can you know, be in long-term treatment, whether it's an intensive outpatient program or some other program. But the longer people are in a formal um, recovery setting, the higher the chances they have of getting into long-term recovery. And really, really look at that model. And if elected to the Virginia State Senate, I would uh, empower a panel of, of experts, you know, people that uh, are in recovery, people that need to be in recovery, uh, people that are trained in the field, doctors, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and people, and bring them to together and start re-looking at the models that we're using for recovery right now and seeing what we can do as a state to increase the probability that people get into long-term recovery. Because I've not seen a lot of push for that across the country, and I'm talking about in the addiction field, is not not a lot of people are talking about wanting to re-look at this whole model, the 28-day model, and Re, just readdressing that and seeing if there's a better way. I think if there was any other issue that had sort of the failure rate that this model has, we would have already been looking at it and doing studies and seeing if we can come up with some sort of a, a process that can improve upon it. But again, I don't think there's a focus on this. And so people people don't. This is just the disease that nobody talks about. 
So looking at the treatment centers, looking at long-term recovery and seeing what the state can do is something that I'd be looking at. And then also our first responders. And, and you know, I, I was a police officer before I was an FBI agent, and I dealt firsthand with the negative impacts of addiction on the street. And I know, I really wish I, I'd had the training back then that I'd, I'd had later in my life because I would have been so much better equipped to deal with uh, the addiction issues and mental health issues I was dealing with. You know, I, I was a police officer. I was not a social worker. I was not a psychiatrist. I was not an addiction counselor. But there were elements of the training that all of those professions that receive that would have benefited me greatly as a police officer. And I think that we can do better in training our police forces here in Virginia on mental health and addiction, how to treat it, de-escalation practices, critical incident training, and so on and so forth. And I think that there's a lot that we can do to help increase the standards in our police forces and other first responders, EMTs, firefighters, etc. There's a lot that we can do. And that is, again, something I will be pushing as a Virginia state senator. And we have to make this a, a priority. We do. Because this is the pandemic that we're having. This is the pandemic. The suicide rate uh, is out of control right now, not just in the military, not just with police officers, but in the public. It is really something that we have to address, and it is a moral imperative that our legislature in Richmond, Virginia, deal with this issue, and that is something that I want to make a priority. And so, folks, with that I will be running in November 2023 for the Virginia State Senate 33rd District. It's going to be the, if you're looking it up, it's the new redistrict. Uh, it was basically the 37th and then it redistricted into the 33rd. I'll be running for that office. And folks, it's going to be a tough battle. It really is. I, I already have some opponents that have lined up uh, against me and they are people who have run for office before, so they already have a, a solid network set up. Uh, they have been backed financially, and so I'm going to need all the help that I can get. And if you are someone that thinks that uh, it is, you know, you're in a position to help and you can, it would be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to, to help me out, please do. And the address, the campaign address is Van Meter for Virginia. That's Van Meter for Virginia, 7051 Brookfield Plaza, Unit 6382, and that's in Springfield, Virginia, 22150. Really look forward to working with all of you and representing all of you. And also check out my, uh, not only the Facebook page for this show, but also I have a Facebook page called Van Meter Virginia. Uh, this is going to be a long, hard fight. Looking forward to it. I've never backed down from a fight before. Not going to do it now. And I think that we in Virginia can do a lot to be the leader for the rest of the nation. We can do it, guys, and we're going to do it with your help. Take care. Bye-bye.